According to the Gospel, Jesus saw a man who had been blind since birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? How many of us believe that our misfortunes are the result of another person's actions? Does this help us manage our misfortune better as we no longer question it? Or does it do the opposite and make us angry? This is Between Us, Stories of Unconscious Bias. I am Smitha Tharoor. Hello, I'd like to introduce Richard Thomas. Richard and his wife Susanna have led Hillside Church in Wimbledon for 27 years, where he is the pastor. Richard also serves as chaplain to the Priory Hospital, the Royal Marsden Hospital and the Cancer Centre in London. He is passionate about how we respond spiritually in our darkest hours. Richard is also a very dear and valued friend. So I am doubly positive that Richard has given me the time to hear his stories and share his stories on Unconscious Bias. Thank you so much, Richard, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Smith. I think you're very brave. (laughs) That's so kind of you. I'm going to explore that in just a minute about bravery. But. Let's just talk about unconscious bias before we even talk about stories. Okay. Uh, just those two words. I mean, what do you understand by them? When I answered this, I had to try and sort of put aside a little bit all the things I've learned from you about unconscious bias. And actually, I said you're brave because you've asked a preacher to be interviewed, which is always, I think, a bold move. So my mind went back to my faith and Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I started thinking, obviously, that talks about an unconscious wrong and all sorts of things. But this sense of a lot of the wrong that we do as humanity and as individuals maybe stems from things we're unconscious of. And that events, like so many events that we read about in the newspapers today, are ethnic in tone or maybe gender in tone. And we have all this stuff that we carry around. And actually, it's when we realize that we're often behaving out of ignorance and out of fear and out of these things that we are able to start correcting our behavior and improving ourselves, again, individually and as societies. So, yes, my mind went to to those words, forgive them for they know not what they do. That makes so much sense, Richard. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And I suppose in terms of bravery (laughs) and my wanting to interview a preacher, I suppose I have the advantage of already knowing you as a friend for, God knows, give or take 20 years, I've lost track. And certainly in that period of time, I think it comes back to this whole idea of defining people. And when I think of Richard Thomas, I don't think of Richard Thomas preacher, I think of Richard Thomas friend. And what does that mean? And so there are so many layers to our own unconscious biases, don't you think, and how we look at who we know, whether it's Richard Thomas preacher also friend or friend who happens to be preacher (laughs) you see where i'm going so it's different on the other hand if you were a stranger i wonder if i would have had unconscious biases kicking in where i'm thinking oh this is going to be a bit scary i'm going to be talking to a preacher i wonder what he'll say yeah to be fair that didn't even occur to me so yes i see what you mean but just to continue on this path richard i wonder if you could share a story with us around what that feels for you yes a story that i thought about because i try and apply this to myself. 
and talking to people in preparation, they suggested I shouldn't share it. But I grew up in a village in Wales where at the time of growing up, I remember in my school, I think there was one non-white place, a teenage, I remember him as a teenager, but obviously grew up there. And then one Chinese takeaway. So a very, very white place. And yes, I remember playing football and rugby and games, which I was never very good at, I'm afraid. But if someone was cheating, people often called out, play the white man. And I mean, that's just shameful and horrible and racist and all those things. But no one really thought about it. But of course, the implication of that is that white people are more honorable than people who aren't white. And I don't think anyone actually believed that or even thought about it. But it was for a time, and I'm sure it wouldn't be now, okay to say it. And mm. just reflecting and preparing for this, I wondered if that impacted me in any way as a sort of white man. And I've read a lot by an American theologian, Willie Jennings, about whiteness as this sort of self-sufficient white European concept. You know, not being white, which is obviously fine, but whiteness as a sort of superiority, you know, all those sort of things. And whether I've been fueled by that, because I haven't had the experience of being non-white or non-male or non-European. And I hope it hasn't. But on one level, I suppose I have to admit that it probably has to some extent. And my experience, you know, since shows me that the ironic thing about that play, the white man, it probably came from empire days when the most immoral people were the people with the white skin. Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah, no, I do, I do, and that, and I'm just thinking about what you're saying because certainly today, you know, following Black Lives Matter, when George Floyd was killed last year, 2020, what am I saying? Two years ago now, yeah. um, and Western world reacting to what is white and what is white male and what does that mean to people who are white and is there such a thing called white privilege? So there are many yes. questions that are going around at the moment around mm -hmm. whiteness and how people who are white see themselves. But then I also, I mean, I think about this a lot, as you know, and I also ask myself then, do any of us, no matter what color skin we have, what ethnicity we have, do any of us actually wake up in the morning and say, I am Indian, I am brown, I am black, I am white, I am yeah. Chinese, I am whatever you want, you can add many more. And so how am I going to then navigate the world based on how other people look at me or am I going to just get on with it? You see what I'm saying? So it's very yeah, nuanced, it is. isn't it? Yeah, it is very nuanced. And alongside that, this isn't one of my stories, but I recently began more chaplaincy work because of, at the end of the pandemic. And I am often mistaken for a doctor when I walk around the hospital. And I think it's because I'm a white man. Now, everybody knows that doctors can be any color and male or female. But there's still this sort of thing that goes on of oh, a white man not in uniform with a badge on. He must be a doctor. Also, right. the fact that you're tall, perhaps yeah. that you wear glasses. I'm I think just so. imagining. Yeah, and um, obviously the good looks as well at the Smith. Hey, there but, you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Tall, white, handsome man with glasses. Obviously, a he's a doctor. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it is probably right. from a bias that exists in our society. And, you know, you mentioned the George Floyd thing. I think a lot of European people thought, oh, isn't that terrible what America has done? Isn't it terrible the apartheid in South Africa? But of course, it's, it was all birthed from Europe. 
and yet we still want to separate ourselves from it. Like it's nothing to do with us. So, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, Absolutely. It is, yeah. It is a whole other conversation. But you're right. You know, wandering around, I know it's a side story, but I'm kind of just responding to you wandering around a hospital with, you know, just without a uniform and wearing a badge and how people assume who you are. And certainly around that aspect of unconscious bias, I have read research that's been done where a group of people wore what we call white lab coats and a stethoscope around their neck. Oh, yeah. And therefore, people assumed they were doctors, but actually they were not doctors. Went and spoke yes. patients suffering a migraine or you know, something not life-threatening, but something minor, and spoke yeah. to them and then gave them a placebo. It wasn't real medicine. And then another group of people who were medics, but went in jeans and T-shirt and no stethoscope around their neck, went wow. to the patients and gave them medication. You know, I'm making it up, but ibuprofen yeah. or something. Yeah. And the research proved that the ones who got better faster were the ones <laughs> who had the placebo by the non medical the stethoscope yeah. around their neck. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah, but complex people, aren't we? Deep aren't waters. we just? Yeah. yeah. But no, to come back to your story, Richard, please do continue. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I don't have any other thoughts on that particular story because I just think we have to be aware that we don't know what's going on with us sometimes. A bit like the placebo story. We do have responses and we need to be conscious that we have this unconscious bias which can result in unconscious behaviors which are actually wrong and maybe racist or misogynist or homophobic. So yeah, I'm just aware that I was brought up hearing that saying and not questioning it. And it should have been, I mean, I think it probably was questioned in time. But it should have been questioned far more. That's what's called new normal, isn't it? And we have to create a new normal, whatever right. normal might be. You know, I mean, just for example, sexuality and homophobia or blatant racism mm. would not have been questioned in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Whereas mm. today, I would hope that it is questioned and discussed and, you know, brought up as this is not acceptable. Yeah. That's just uh, life, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it has to be questioned. I agree with you. It's true. So to come back to your other story, because I think we digressed a little bit, didn't we? We do that normally when we socialize as well. We yeah. certainly do. But the is yours, Richard. Do share a okay, story. But, I mean, the other sort of stories I'm thinking of, and this is probably a huge passion of mine because of personal experience that, you know, I mentioned and because of professional experience, is the way that we stigmatize illness. It's discussed quite widely and properly that we stigmatize mental illness, but I think we do it with all types of illness. And I mean, you know that we have a son, Edward, and he is a 23-year-old graduate now, but when he was a baby, he was rushed to Great Ormond Street with a horrible heart defect. And we actually lost some friends who distanced themselves from us because they said it was because of a sin that we had committed or that he had committed in a previous life. And I've suffered with cancer and with something else that I'll mention in a minute. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, we had people who left our church because when they prayed for me, I wasn't miraculously healed. So there's this stigma around illness that I think just adds to the burden of being ill. That's actually huge. The illness that I have, that's probably one of the worst for this, other than mental health problems, is I have epilepsy. And, I mean, you know, historically, epilepsy was believed to be 
caused by demons. So that automatically put anybody who had a seizure or a fit as in the evil camp. Now we sort of know that it's caused by a sort of electrical imbalance in the brain, but still it's a, a disease that's stigmatized and looked down on. I remember actually when I was diagnosed, the doctor could not have done a worse job of telling me. He couldn't look me in the eye. He avoided any deep conversation about it. And I was in and out of the office in just a few minutes. I then saw him treating an old lady with so much tenderness and care. You know, I wondered what was wrong with me. And of course, it was epilepsy. And of course, all those stories relate not just to the stigma around it, but actually what religion does, whether it's Christianity or other religions. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of Jesus and his disciples coming across the blind man. And the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because obviously someone did something wrong for someone to be blind. So every single time someone is suffering with these things, yes, society has evolved a bit, but we still question who's to blame and what have they done wrong? I saw one patient with lung cancer who'd never smoked, but everyone assumed he'd smoked and almost wrote him off because of it. And why would we do that? Why would we do it if someone has smoked? You know what I mean? It mm -hmm. might be useful scientifically, but it's not necessarily useful in terms of the way we judge people. This is really interesting, Richard, because I'm thinking about a few things here when you're talking about stigma and being on Mel, whether it's your son, a little baby in hospital, and friends who you thought were friends saying to you, obviously, something must have happened in his previous life or your life for him to suffer like this. And yes. certainly, as you know, in Hinduism, there is something called reincarnation, yes. where there is a previous life and a present life, and you know, there are many cycles of life before you're kind of free from living on this earth. So my question to you, I suppose, is this idea of religion. I mean, you are yes. a practicing Christian. You are a preacher. You run a church. So you, you know, religion is core to who you are. It's very much part of who you are, your identity. And yet you say to me that you have lost friends because yeah. of, and I'm going to be deliberately provocative, so forgive me, but because your friends believe in their religion in a way that doesn't match what you think. Or am I wrong in saying that? No, I think that, yeah, I would say that it's because the presence of that illness or the presence of that illness remaining when you know prayer should remove it or something means there must be something wrong with you spiritually. They wouldn't use the word, but they would say that makes you unclean and therefore someone from whom I should distance myself. Right. But despite the fact that you are a preacher, and you certainly have read enough books and, and knowledge about Christianity, and you understand it, and other religions, I know that of you, what you're saying in understanding medical illnesses, whether it's epilepsy or whether it's you know, a heart issue or whether it's yeah. cancer or whether it's anything, it is about the physical. It is not about God. And spirituality is that what you're saying i'm just trying to get this clear in my own head and it is what i'm saying yes it, i wouldn't say that it means god i would say the very opposite that god is not absent in those things but yes illness is a part of humanity and you know some people enjoy good health for a long time and that's a wonderful thing but many people you know suffer throughout their lives or at some point in their lives and it is not a sign 
that you've done something wrong, that you are wrong, that you are bad, that you are unclean. And yet we still respond often like that in a, in a world in which we regard ourselves as progressive and inclusive and non-judgmental. Certainly, and we're not talking just about Christianity, Richard. I have seen this in, or in England. I have seen this in many parts of the world, including India. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And I'm sure many of the listeners are nodding their head in agreement with you. So, yes, do continue, Richard. And I've spoken to countless people who they say things like you learn who your friends are when you're diagnosed with cancer. They will actually refer to people actually physically crossing the road to avoid seeing them. And personally, I mean, I think it comes from, sometimes we don't know what to say, you know, we're scared and all those sort of things. But I think it does come from my life would be easier if I don't have contact with this person. There's something wrong and I want to keep away from it. Yeah, I think it's really common. Well, yeah. That's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? Because when somebody is at the particularly nowhere because of having cancer or having a serious illness, and that's when you need your friends. And yet, there are many people who feel that they are safer and they do not communicate with you at that time. It's quite heartbreaking, I must say. No, it is, it is heartbreaking. And yeah, I speak to many people and it, it does break the hearts of people who they thought were their friends are so ready to abandon them and when they need them most. And I think the fact that it's justified, for me, in any society, for example, we talk about racism. Racism is always evil, but when racism is justified, in the name of God or God's or faith or you know goodness, it's another level of abuse committed by church leaders is in my book worse than abuse maybe committed by some random stranger because it's done in the name of God. And therefore, when someone is ill and we stigmatize it, I think it's worse. It's worse than just abandoning them because it's when it's done because they've done something wrong. Therefore, for me to be close to God, I need to be away from them. It's Foolish. I think we lose out on our education, but it's also deeply, deeply hurtful to the victim of that illness. Maybe also the victim of that level of prejudice and unconscious bias we're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, you have enough experience of witnessing this because you work as a chaplain in three hospitals. So well, you, do have, you have yeah. met many a patient who is unwell and have these conversations with them. This is not because of your son or your personal story, you're talking about many stories that you have heard. That's right, yeah. It's the work, yeah. Yeah, and statistics beyond that. And we say, I'm very proud. I mean, it's interesting that this story I mentioned of Jesus and the blind man was no one's fault. Yeah, and then, of course, he went on to do a miracle like Jesus did. In a sense, the teaching is almost more important than the miracle, that he was willing to say, let's not do a blame session here. Let's not look to who we can point the finger at. Let's just be here for that person in the best way that we can. And that's what's interesting, Richard, because this whole idea of blame, isn't it? We often, just to make our lives easier, decide that if we blame somebody or a situation or something, then we can accept why X has happened. Absolutely. Um, and yes. then we can get on with our lives because then we've we rationalized yeah. it, we think. And then you can think it's not going to happen to you because you have never done what they did or you have eaten the right foods or done the right exercise or whatever. Right, fascinating, yes. Yeah. Could you share another story? Yes, yeah, just, just, I've only got one, you know, I, never, I always think of more, but I've only got one more story, and again, it relates to the stigma around illness, but in this case, mental illness. So I 
a number of years ago, I was going to a meeting at the Priory to talk about chaplaincy. And when I was about to leave, I you know, put my smartest clothes on and I looked at my shoes and they were absolutely filthy. And I thought, oh no, I need to, you know, I can't, you know, the hospital director might be a sort of person who expects someone's shoes before they accept someone. So I went to clean them, but I couldn't find any shoe cleaning kit. So I went into the shoe repair place on the way and asked them to clean them and I explained why. And a young woman next to me said, well, that sounds like a very important meeting. So I, I was a bit too stressed to let my ego enjoy that. But I said, it is kind of important. Thank you. And then she said to me, well, I hope it goes really well in Jesus' name. And I was obviously shocked because I hear Jesus' name a lot in church. And I say it a lot. Don't hear it so much at the cobblers. So um, I sort of explained what the meeting was. And then we talked about it. And she actually said a prayer for me in the middle of the cobblers with my shoes on, like I was on holy ground or something. And it gave me a real boost. I went to the meeting very encouraged and looking forward to it. But I've shared that story many times since. And so many times people say to me, well, it sounds like she had a mental health problem, but you should have been going to see her. And I thought about it. And actually, of course, it's possible she did. And that's why she behaved the way she did. But I thought, why is it that we think the person with the mental health problem or the physical problem or anything else can't be the person who's going to pray for you, help you, give to you, help you out, or whatever. I think and it's an utterly could... charming story, actually, Richard. Oh, yeah. But... I was visualizing you in this cobbler's getting your shoes polished and yeah. someone just blesses you. I mean, from my yeah. perspective, you know, what I often do, or mostly with women, though, because it's safer, is I yeah. might be traveling on a bus somewhere and they could be wearing, most recently, there was this lady on a bus. We were both at the door waiting to get off. And I really liked her earrings. Complete stranger. She had a mask on. Yeah. And I just looked at her and said, I think your earrings are lovely. Yes. Now, does that suggest that I may be weird because I spoke to a stranger? <laughs> I, I don't know. I can tell you that her entire body changed. And that's what happened to you. The way she was holding herself, completely yeah. relaxed. And then we talked about the earrings for about the next one minute or two minutes until the bus had came at, at her stop. And she said, bye. And I said, bye. And she left. That was so lovely. I know. And I that's did. what this lady in the cobbler did to you. All she was saying. And you said that. You said you got boosted up. You well, went for that meeting feeling boosted up. It had nothing to do with like that, actually, because she actually turned to another woman who wasn't with her and said, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And the other woman, she had a sort of facial disability. So she couldn't talk. And then she actually said a prayer for her as well. So it was just this lovely, holy moment with somebody who may be troubled in their life, but actually so am I sometimes. Aren't and we all? But she was giving of herself, wasn't she, Richard? She was giving of herself. She was putting herself out there. It's possible that some people are really awful to her when she does that. But I think there's no one in this world who can't help me at some point in life. And... You know, so often we want to be the helpers, and that's a great thing. But I think having open hands means we can receive as well as give. And she was an angel to me on that day. But I think what you just said, Richard, this business about, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but anyone in the world can help you. But Absolutely. then on the other side of the coin, of course, anyone in the world can help you or me or anyone else. But the receiver, as in you or me, needs to want to accept 
and to embrace whatever they are offering to us. That's and right. that, I suppose, is our unconscious bias, would you say? Yes, absolutely. My bias might say that there are some people who've got nothing to teach me, and that would be ignorance, total ignorance. Because I don't know, they have experiences and insights and notice things which I don't notice. And certainly, I don't know who this young woman was, but she certainly helped me on that day. And I got my shoes cleaned as well. And you got your shoes cleaned, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it was, the meeting was successful, and I've been able to be of service to people in that place ever since. So who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have been without her. Who knows? Bit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I love about this story, that we don't need to break down all the little bits and analyze all of it. Just take it as it comes and accept that that moment, there was this complete stranger at a cobbler's wanting to make you feel good about where you were going. Absolutely. Yeah, and just being encouraged. I mean, for you, it was about religion. With me on a bus, I didn't bring in the religion, but I was just being kind. So it isn't even about religion, I don't think. It's more than that, don't you think? It is, but I would say that probably your connection with her, if only brief, was probably spiritual. It was two yes, human beings connecting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But then what is spirituality, Richard? I want to ask you that question. What is your understanding of that? It's a big one, which... Uh, you may or may not want to answer, but I agree with you. So that's why I thought, hmm, let's just very briefly talk about that word. What does that mean to you? In the context we're talking about, I think it often means as being human at its best. So finding a connection, finding kindness, finding that there's a purpose in our world that we can make someone's day better. And I mean, I would add to that at the beginning of the scriptures, it talks about the spirit of God hovering over creation. And I try to walk around looking for that spirit over everyone I meet, and not just people, I mean, over animals and trees and all of creation, but just sensing that even if actually someone's hostile or someone's dead, or that actually the spirit is still over them. And when we're being spiritual, it's when you start connecting with that awareness that everyone's a human being on whom the spirit hovers, waiting to bring about goodness. Yeah, that sort of thing. It's a yeah, very big question. You. It is a very big question. I'm sorry I threw that at you, but yeah. I just wanted a brief. This is when preacher Richard Thomas, uh, I yeah. wanted an answer from him rather than just a friend. So thank you for saying that. But Richard, uh, you know, on a kind of a daily level, on a daily basis, you know, do you have a sort of a mantra to challenge your own unconscious biases? What do you do? How do you manage yeah. them? Yeah, so forgive me for being preachy again. Please I, do, go ahead. I go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because we often think it's a story about kindness, and of course it definitely is. But it's actually a story about race. And the Samaritans were the despised people among the people whom Jesus was moving. And actually they weren't very nice to Jesus. In, in the chapter before, they stopped him traveling through their town. They were hostile to him. And yet he made the Samaritan the hero of that story. I thought about this a few years ago. I was trying to do a modern retelling of it, and I, it wasn't a very good one, but I did it as sort of, English, Irish, Scottish, Welshman, and well, obviously the Welshman was the hero because of <laughs> very conscious bias that I have. But I thought I can't do that because it would upset people. And actually, that's exactly what Jesus did. He did upset people. The teacher who, and Jesus said, who's the neighbor in that story? The teacher couldn't even bear himself to say the word Samaritan. He said, I suppose the one who showed him kindness. You know, he's like avoiding the question. And of course, that word Samaritan, which was a despised word in our society, is now a word 2,000 years later, which, you know, it's the name of a charity which helps people that they're most desperate. 
synonymous with kindness and goodness. But what I try to do in my daily life is I ask myself, who is my Samaritan? If Jesus was telling me that story or telling you that story, who would you least want to be the hero in that story? Which people group, which political party, which would it be male or female or which sexuality or whatever? Who would I least want to be the hero? Not because I don't think they can do goodness, because I don't really want to hear about it. And one theory I've got as well is actually maybe it wasn't a parable, maybe it was a true story that no one would tell because they didn't like talking about when the Samaritan was kind and Jesus told it. So the question I have for myself is who is the person who I don't want to hear good stories about? And I remember, I can't actually remember the people group who it was, but I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote down who it was at that time. And as I said, it wasn't that I knew they couldn't be kind. It was that I don't want to know when they're kind. So that story for me just drives home. It allows me to examine who I am unconsciously biased against in a negative way and saying, well, is that okay? And of course it's not. And then learn to challenge that. And then right. learn to challenge it, which is yeah. then harder than it sounds. Much harder than it sounds, of course. Yeah. I mean, first reflecting and accepting that maybe you don't want to hear from that individual. And then, of course, how do you actually get your head around that on a daily basis? That's right, yeah. yeah not easy. Not easy. I could talk forever, Richard, because you know I enjoy conversing about all kinds of things with you. But I really appreciate giving your time to, with me today and sharing your stories of unconscious bias. Richard, Richard Thomas, thank you so very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. You're very kind. I look forward to seeing you soon. to announce that my podcast series is now heard in 104 countries, ranging from Guadalupe to Iceland, Argentina to Palestine, and even Morocco. It is ranked in the top 3% worldwide. This is clearly a series that connects with people all over the world, and you are one of them. I thank you for listening. I would also like to thank Jack Godfrey for his original music in the closing of each podcast interview. If you like this episode, Please do share, rate and review. I am Smitha Tharoor. Until next time.